Would you like to help a college or seminary student attend the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference? You can purchase a conference scholarship for a contribution of $135 to Issues Etc. You can donate online at issuesetc.org scholarship, or you can make a $135 check payable to Issues Etc., write scholarship in the memo line, and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Things continue to get stranger and stranger indeed. It's common to hear about human rights, but what about non-human rights? That is, rights for non-humans, for animals. And sometimes, in some cases, there are those who say that rivers or entire regions should have legal rights before the law, just like individual human beings do. It's strange, but... We don't get to choose the time we live in. These are the strange times in which we live. Joining us to talk about non-human rights in New York and two other issues, transhumanism and religious persecution in China, Wesley Smith, senior fellow at the Discovery Institute Center on Human Exceptionalism, an attorney and consultant to the Patients' Rights Council, columnist for National Review Online and author of several books, including Culture of Death, The Age of Do Harm Medicine. Wesley, welcome back to Issues Etc., Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. Tell us about this organization, the Non-Human Rights Project. Yes, this is an animal rights advocacy group that is using the courts in state courts to try to have a judge rule that animals or certain animals are persons so that they have to be given rights that are basically co-equal to human beings. Uh, They tried that a few years ago, you may recall, in New York with some chimpanzees, and that didn't work. And now the most recent cases, they've sued uh, to have an elephant kept at the Bronx Zoo named Happy, named to be a person, because they don't think she's being cared for properly in that zoo. So is this an attempt to prevent what they perceive as cruelty or some sort of unfit conditions? No, you know, you can you can handle that kind of thing with animal welfare approaches and if if the elephant is being kept in in an improper way, the authority should be called and if the law does not cover the particular problems with this elephant happy in the Bronx Zoo and I I don't, you know, the zoo says it's that she's being cared for properly. She's being kept uh, in a pen, apparently, with away from other elephants because of behavioral issues or inability to get along. And, and I would say, you know, you want a, an elephant to be able to have some social involvement with other elephants because they're very social animals. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to get into the factual dispute. The zoo says yes. This group says no. But they're not suing to say, look, this is the wrong approach to caring for Happy. They're suing to say that Happy should be granted a writ of habeas corpus for improper imprisonment and given liberty. But of course, the idea of liberty is to put Happy in a uh, elephant sanctuary, which means she's really not at liberty. It'll just be human beings having a different decision as to what to do with her than is currently the case. So there is an agenda to advance animal rights into the realm of human rights. Yes, let me be very clear for your listeners. What animal rights activism wants is 
to end all human ownership of animals, and it must be distinguished from animal welfare. Animal welfare is a human duty. We have the obligations as moral beings to treat animals humanely. I don't think anybody who's decent would dispute that. Animal rights is an ideology. Animal rights says that humans and animals are equal because both can feel pain. And since both can feel pain, what is done to, let's say, a cow is the same thing as what is done to a human being. Hence, cattle ranching is akin to slavery. Well, you can see the deep misanthropy there because you're basically, by supposedly elevating animals to the human level, you're actually lowering humans to the animal level. And there seems to be, I think you've pointed out this before, that there is a kind of a paradox or even a, a contradiction in their approach in that the only reason we even can conceive of something that would be called animal rights is because we as human beings are distinct from the animals and possess moral agency. Correct. So happy is obviously an awesome animal. She's an Asian elephant. Elephants are awesome. Of course, only human beings can even comprehend the idea that something is awesome. We, we have that capacity. Animals are amoral. They are not moral beings. For example, happy would be incapable of committing a crime. If I walked into her pen and she stepped on my head, you couldn't accuse her of murder because she's not capable of that kind of the kind of intent that is required to be guilty of murder. If I did that to you, let's say I crushed your head when you walked into my house, you know, I could be branded a monster, should be branded a monster, and, and could be held to account because I am a moral being. That is a crucial distinction between human beings and animals. We understand right versus wrong. And in fact, what's really ironic is animal rights basically says that animals should have rights that we have to respect, but of course, we don't have rights that they have to respect because they don't understand the concept, nor do they have to respect each other's rights because they don't have to understand the concept. So what animal rights activists are really saying is that we should have hyper-duties, self-sacrificing duties, even self-harming duties, and then they say we're not exceptional, yet by definition, because of the incredible obligations they seek to impose on us, we're obviously exceptional. You also want to focus a little bit on one of the judges, even though this was overturned, as was the, the attempt to declare chimpanzees to have something akin to human rights. There was a judge there in the New York Supreme Court that was sympathetic nonetheless. A judge in this, which is called the Court of Appeals in New York, but it's the highest court, in the chimpanzee case a couple of years ago, wrote a statement which had no bearing on whether or not that case could be heard. It was a denial of a hearing in that court, basically saying that we should, that to treat a chimpanzee as being owned is to treat it as an object. And that's not true at all. I mean, it, it almost, this judge, almost that, he says, quote, to treat a chimpanzee as if he or she had no right to liberty, protected by habeas corpus. Think about that. We're talking about an animal is to regard the chimpanzee as entirely lacking independent worth as a mere resource for human use, a thing the value of which consists exclusively in its usefulness to others. Well, close quote. That's just baloney. We have animal welfare laws that specifically recognize that animals are not just things. For example, we don't have 
granite welfare laws. We don't have beach sand welfare laws, but we do have animal welfare laws because we know animals can feel pain. We know they have emotions. We know that they can suffer, and therefore we as human beings have imposed upon ourselves properly a standard of care for animals to limit or decrease or mitigate any of those kinds of things that may happen in the, in our relationship with animals. For example, lab rats. I mean, we use lab rats in medical research, but there are accrediting agencies that look into how you deal with these lab rats. You don't just tear them limb from limb. There are standards that apply as there should be standards that apply. Meanwhile, this current judge in the elephant case clearly said she wanted to be able to do what this non-human rights project was requesting, but she was bound by precedent. Well, I'm glad she was circumspect and understood that she couldn't go beyond what the rule of law currently states, but not all judges are that circumspect. What this organization is looking for is one judge wanting to make history, and all it takes is one judge to turn the human-animal relationship on its head. And in fact, in response to my piece that we're referencing in National Review, uh, some people from this non-human animal rights project have been laying into me and basically saying that they think they're close. And my fear is I think they're close too. The fact that two judges would grant personhood and a writ of habeas corpus to animals should worry each and every one of us. We're talking with Wesley Smith, Senior Fellow at the Discovery Institute Center on Human Exceptionalism about non-human rights in New York. We're going to turn to transhumanism next. Mark Hemingway talking about his joint presentation with his wife Molly at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The fact of the matter is, is that on those particular issues of religious liberty and preserving our faith from the onslaught of bad cultural and political ideas, things have never been more dire and it's, it's more important than ever. You can meet and hear journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway making the case for Christian political engagement at the 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The premier conference for Christian laity is Friday, June 12th and Saturday, June 13th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more and register at issuesetc.org. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Ad Crucem has crafted a series of posters to put what we believe, teach, and confess on display. 
See our Luther's Daily Prayers, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Liturgical Calendar, John 1 in Latin, and coming soon, the Athanasian Creed. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Providing artillery support for the church militant on the front lines, you're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethlehem Lutheran, Sylvan Grove, Kansas. Faith Lutheran Church and Preschool, Marinette, Wisconsin. Holy Cross Lutheran, Albany, Oregon. Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer, Peekskill, New York. Mount Zion Lutheran, Castle Rock, Colorado. Prince of Peace Lutheran, San Diego, California. St. Athanasius Lutheran, Fairfax, Virginia. St. Paul Lutheran, Austin, Texas. Trinity Lutheran, Arapahoe, Nebraska. And Zion Lutheran, Detroit, Michigan. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including issues, etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click support, donate, and print the one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Wesley Smith is our guest, senior fellow at the Discovery Institute Center on Human Exceptionalism, columnist for National Review Online, and author of several books, including Culture of Death, The Age of Duhar Medicine. Wesley, moving from non-human rights to transhumanism, tell us about Zoltan Istvan. Yeah, Zoltan Istvan is running for president <laughs> on the Republican ticket, and his plank is to upgrade America, and basically what he's trying, he's arguing is that if he gets elected, he can end and defeat death. Transhumanism is a future, we've talked about it on, on your show before, is a futuristic movement coming mostly out of the high academy that basically seeks to provide a corporeal, meaning in this life, immortality, and also wants to uh, help people have radical body self-transformation. So if you want the eyesight of a hawk or the superpowers of a cartoon character, or you want to live longer than a redwood tree, then you become a transhumanist. And, you know, it once come the singularity, which is a, a time in the future where it's kind of like an eschatology these people have. It's a time in the future, near future, actually, in which the crescendo of technological breakthroughs will be become so unstoppable, it will lead to a post-human future. Well, Zoltan Istvan is the prime popularizer of transhumanism. He ran on the Transhumanist Party in 2016. He had a great gimmick. He created this bus and he refashioned it to look like a coffin. And he went around the country promising to defeat death. And you wouldn't believe all the media he attracted. And so I wrote this piece about Istvan, who I kind of like. I know him a little bit. We had a long lunch a few weeks ago. But I wrote it because it wasn't about this kind of eccentric fellow who's using the centrifugal force of elections to get attention for himself primarily and also for transhumanism. But I wrote it as a warning against transhumanism. This is a very dangerous ideology that not enough people are taking seriously. It has a utopian appeal, 
which of course always leads to trouble because the ends justify the means. And in fact, Istvan has said he's a authoritarian libertarian. He's actually said war is justified if a country is trying to prevent transhumanism. It is uh, highly eugenics in its outlook. It denies human exceptionalism, and it it is uh, it I think a a dangerous movement that is deeply nihilistic. So I I kind of use as just as Istvan is using the election to promote himself and his ideology, I used his campaign to try to bring attention to transhumanism so that people who would oppose it take it as seriously as the proponents do. And it's not just Istvan, but it's it's very powerful and rich people pushing this. People like Elon Musk uh, of Tesla, people like uh, Ray Kurzweil of Google. These are billionaire types who are really putting a lot of effort into this because they're so afraid of death. I know you're not a theologian, you're a legal mind, but does it look to you, you said it has an eschatology, does it look to you like a religion of sorts? Yes. I've, I've written about that, in, in, not in this piece so much, but in other pieces about transhumanism. It's very similar to religion in the sense that it has its prophets. It has an eschatology, which I just mentioned, the singularity. Uh, it believes that there will be a, uh, I use the term New Jerusalem because of its biblical connotation, but they don't think it will be in uh, a future world that will be, the Bible says that this world will cease to exist and all old things will pass away and a new world, a new Jerusalem, a new creation will come into being, and that Christians will be granted or given eternal life uh, in that new world without getting into the, I may not be using the proper terminology, but in transhumanism, that's all going to happen in the material world. And so you end up with a lot of people who are atheists supporting transhumanism because atheism destroys hope. If all you think you are is carbon molecules that thinks it's alive, once the uh, the carbon molecules cease to function as an organism, if it just everything is wiped clean, there could be a lot of despair that comes out of that. So transhumanism provides the believers, it's almost a, a worship of technology, with hope. And all without the need for sin and without the need for forgiveness and all of that stuff. I think it's actually a very misguided movement. I think it's a very sad movement. And in many ways, because of the utopian aspect of it, it could become a dangerous movement. You point out that, uh, at least in the form of its popularizer, Istvan, he wants to roll back privacy norms. He wants to use the technology of today, essentially, in his words, to punish criminals before they can carry out their harm. Yeah. That sounds pretty... What, what could go wrong? <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he believes in... Um, I mean, and perhaps we'll have time to talk about it, but in China, they're using these kinds of technologies, facial recognition, AI, artificial intelligence, algorithms, and so forth, to, to persecute Christians by creating a social credit system in which if you're a Christian, as just one example, not just Christians, uh, and you go to church and they find you going to church through their technology, you will get a demerit. And if your social credit score becomes so low, you will actually be 
prevented from participating in society. You can lose your job. Your children can be kicked out of school. You may not even be able to go to a hospital or ride on a public transportation. I mean, it is, it's like in the old biblical days of a leper. You know, we're unclean. They were completely excluded from society. In that situation, in the, in the leper situation, because leprosy was a contagious disease and the idea was to keep people from, from being infected. But in this situation, it's the communist tyrants wanting to prevent any religious believer, and it's not just Christians, but the social persecution is primarily aimed at Christians, from practicing their religion at the cost not only of themselves, but to their children, because their children can be excluded from school, their children can be prevented from getting a job. So, Todd, you know, let's say you're a Christian in China, and the authorities come and say, deny Christ or we'll kill you. Well, the the faith has 2,000-year history of martyrs saying, well, then you're going to have to kill me because I'm not going to deny Christ. And there's a certain impact that that kind of martyrdom has always had uh, in the faith and in the in surrounding society. But if what's happening now with China is they're saying, renounce Christ or at least quit going to church and living your faith, or your children will not be allowed to go to school, your children will not be allowed to get a job, your children will not be able to take the bus, and you'll have your children living in the streets, and nobody will know about it because it's all secret. You know, in many ways, that's a more effective dissuasion for participating in Christianity than blood martyrdom is. Why don't we hear more? Why is not more political priority and capital spent to make us aware and to deal with that kind of persecution of Christians and other religions in that enormous country of China? That's an important question, and that's why I wrote a piece in the American Spectator called The Fourth Reich, because not only is this social persecution occurring, but so are real Third Reich kind of brutality, jackboot kinds of genocide even. Uh, you have the Falun Gong. The Falun Gong are a uh, Eastern uh, kind of practice. It's not really a religion per se, but it's a practice. It kind of takes up some Buddhist pre-concepts. It does exercises. Uh, its practitioners do exercises like Tai Chi uh, type exercises, and there's there's a philosophy behind it. And in the 90s, when the communists found out that there were millions of people becoming Falun Gong, because people are looking for meaning. And, you know, China has tried to set up a, a, a godless material realistic society, and there's no meaning in that. So people want meaning. That's a human yearning. And so people were joining the Falun Gong by the millions, and the Chinese urged, uh, ordered, actually a better term, the practice to start following communist orders, and they refused. And Falun Gong started to be rounded up by the authorities and imprisoned. And then they did something else that has been very well documented for about 10 years. They started not only to kill them, but to strip them and organ harvest them and sell their organs on the black market in China. So if you need an, uh, a liver and, and you have $100,000, you can go to China and probably get one, one within a week or two, which is coming from a murdered political prisoner, probably a Falun Gong. And there have even been books written, for example, in the United States, somebody wrote a book called Larry's Kidney, which was described in the New York Times as a comedic tour de force about this fellow who takes his cousin Larry to China to buy a kidney. Well, I got pretty angry about the description as a comedic tour de force, I thought, and I wrote uh, on National Review and other places, I'm sure the Falun Gong who was murdered for Larry's kidney was laughing his head off, right? So you have the Falun Gong with those kinds of deep persecutions with a lot of 
strong evidence that this is occurring. Now, in more recent years, the Chinese tyrants have been rounding up and imprisoning Uyghurs. Uyghurs are an ethnic Muslim group of people in the west of China, which is really isolated from most of the world. And we know that, that concentration camps are being created because we have the satellite photos to prove it. And in those situations, uh, the evidence is that there have been murders, rapes, sex trafficking, child trafficking, children being taken from Uyghurs, denied their right to uh, be taught the faith, religious believers, Christians and Uyghurs, for example, being denied the ability to give a religious burial to their, their loved ones who die. So you have a pogrom, if you will, mounted across China against Uyghurs, blood and concentration-type tyranny and martyrdom, Falun Gong, blood and concentration-type tyranny, organ harvesting, that kind of thing, and Christians, mostly social persecution, along with uh, destroying unapproved churches and scattering parishioners. And in the approved churches, when you go into the approved churches, my sources told me as I wrote in the Fourth Reich, the church itself will take your picture and, and, and do other digital uh, records that you're there. So basically the people who run the, the ministers and the bishops or whatever who run the approved churches are actually agents of the Chinese government in the same way that the Eastern Orthodox clergy in the Stalin era eventually, because hundreds of thousands of Eastern Orthodox priests were killed by Stalin, as you know, and the people who ended up running the Russian Orthodox Church back in the 30s and 40s and so forth were actually KGB agents. So you see that also happening in China. So you have a massive persecution because China's leaders do not want any competition for the loyalty of the people. And they are really going out against religion now, whether it's Christian, Uyghur, Falun Gong, and I'm sure there'll be others. I mean, look what they did to the Tibetan Buddhists in Tibet. They have sought to destroy and obliterate that venerable faith and that culture in the country that they uh, took over in the 50s. Wesley Smith is Senior Fellow at the Discovery Institute Center on Human Exceptionalism. He's an attorney and consultant to the Patients' Rights Council, columnist for National Review Online, and author of several books, including Culture of Death, The Age of Do Harm Medicine. You can read his columns at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Wesley, thanks. Thank you very much. Jennifer Popick joins us, Director of Federal Legislation and Attorney for National Right to Life, to talk about the two abortion bills in the Senate that failed to get traction and the federal appeals court ruling on federal funding for abortion. LCMS Disaster Response provides guidance and assistance to congregations who seek to proclaim the gospel and show mercy in the wake of disasters. We can bring capacity to your congregation through on-site assessment, volunteer training and congregation preparedness, and through grants direct to your congregation. For more information, follow us on Facebook, keyword LCMS Disaster Response, or visit our website at lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster. 
Hi folks, this is Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Join us for the March on the Arch, Saturday, March 7, a pro-life event for you to confess your belief that life is a sacred thing. Check-in begins at 11 a.m. and a rally at 12.30, and then marching from the West End at Planned Parenthood to the Arch in St. Louis. Check out lcms.org slash marchforlife, lcms.org slash marchforlife. Talk radio for the thinking Christian. You're listening to Issues Etc. Hey, Todd, what have our listeners noticed first when visiting the LPR studios? Definitely the small size and the dirt. Well, not anymore. Thanks to our friends at the Cleaning Authority. They've turned this man cave into a space that meets even our wives' approval. Whether it's our office or your home, the Cleaning Authority is your cleaning service provider in the St. Louis area. To schedule a free estimate or to find out more, Visit thecleaningauthority.com, thecleaningauthority.com. The Simply Classical curriculum for special needs moves at my child's pace and gives her exactly what she needs. So writes Amber, a homeschooling mother who has joined thousands in homes and schools, teaching from this uniquely Christian classical approach to special education. Teach students with autism, learning disabilities, or Down syndrome based on ability level rather than chronological age. Use promo code LPR20 today at classicalspecialneeds.com, classicalspecialneeds.com.